Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined by directors Mel Kanarek and the aptly named Chris Diamond, as this is our 60th episode. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we're going to be talking about freelancing in this episode and the effect of COVID-19 specifically. Um, we're going to do it with two guests. We have Stuart Grimshaw, he's a freelance software engineer. And we also have James Marriott, who is a freelance podcaster, audio engineer, writer, wearer of many hats, including being the founder of Sheffield Collective, which is a, a new meetup for Sheffield's freelance folk. So hello, everyone. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. I'm very disappointed that I haven't been showered with diamonds for our 60th anniversary, but never mind. <laughs> we just have one. Forgive me, Chris. We just have one big diamond. That's all we can do. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting bigger by the day, actually. <laughs> Given the amount of exercise I'm doing. <laughs> But we'll move on from that. <laughs> um, right, let's start with finding out a bit more about our guests. So, James, could you give us a bit of a, a potted history, uh, your bit of your background, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, um, in terms of like the the freelance side of things, I guess that's that's relatively new. So, my background is in uh, radio. So, I worked in um, originally newspaper journalism, went into radio journalism, that went into radio presenting, which inevitably went into radio management, which I did for about ten years. Um, somewhere along the line, I kind of missed just being on the radio and just communicating with an audience. So, along came podcasting as a bit of a hobby, kind of my um, uh, passion project and one thing led to another and I decided to make a big EastEnders style exit from radio and leave it behind to uh, to go into podcasting full time uh, and so I went to work for uh, kind of a podcast software company in Sheffield, Rebel Based Media um, and after about a year or so there decided the time was right for me to branch out on my own and go freelance so um, went back into radio so I now spend about half my time doing radio freelancing um, and that is around uh, the BBC who I work for, Global and for Bauer which are the two big commercial groups mainly doing radio freelancing and then also working with podcasters so particularly helping with businesses and brands who kind of want to make a podcast but um, don't really know how to do it so kind of helping them strategize the right idea for a podcast and to get it off the ground but I do various kind of editing for people um, do several of my own podcasts and yeah lots of other bits and bobs as well but kind of yeah I mean audio specialist is what I tend to just kind of call myself now because it's easier than trying to explain every element of that because it's just take me five minutes to explain it. Great. And uh, Stuart, can you give us uh, give us your version, please? Um, yeah, so I'm a freelance software engineer. Um, basically, I work for companies who have uh, projects that they need completing where they don't necessarily have the skills in-house. Um, they hire me um, and people like me to complete those projects for them. It's not another... And not an, just like another bum on a seat kind of filling capacity kind of a thing. It's where you, um, where they can't, they literally don't have the skills in-house and um, they need to get the project done. So that's where they'll hire somebody like me. And how did you uh, get into freelancing? Was it uh, something that you've always wanted to do or is it did it just sort of come along by chance? So it's kind of, <laughs> it's been a bit of a running joke in my family. Um, my My son's just about to turn. 16 and uh, so he's produced his first cv to try and get his own job um so obviously he wanted to look at mine to see what it was and my cv's 
12 pages long. And that's all just from the different jobs I've had. So the the, the kind of running joke is that I kind of I've always behaved like a freelancer anyway. Um, and I got made redundant um, about six years ago. Um, so I decided to use the redundancy to give myself a bit of a runway to um, to go into freelancing properly, uh, contracting. Um, so that's what I did. I mean, it was a conscious decision at the time. But it wasn't something I was working towards. You know, it was just the the opportunity came along. It was the right time to do it. I found a, I found my first contract fairly rapidly, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the same. It's uh, I'd always had this idea that I might want to be freelance, but sometimes you just need a polite shove. And I think redundancy could be a, a rather popular way of uh, of, that, <laughs> of starting being freelance, perhaps yeah. even more so at the moment. Mel. I really recognise that CV that Stuart was talking about. Thinking back um, on my career, when I started working, I didn't hold a job for more than a year or 18 months. I was always fidgety and moving on and looking for the next thing. And when I did actually end up working for other people, it was always in a role where I was as much as possible not really working for other people, but doing what I wanted to do within their organisation. And um, I've freelanced and, and set up my own businesses several times. And each time it's been because I've realized that I just need to be out and doing my own thing. I'm not good at being within someone else's structure. So even, even though if you looked at my CBI, there are times when I have held down a job. Um, it's probably been a bit tenuous as to whether I was really working for them or not. <laughs> The, the, the strange thing about all this is that my so my experience is the complete opposite to what you've just described. So I worked for a company for 15 years uh, before I went freelance. And in that job, I actually used to employ quite a lot of freelancers. So managing a radio station, you're very reliant on freelancers to kind of cover shows at the weekend. And when people book holidays, you know, I, I was in contact with a team of probably 20 freelancers every single day. Um, and and th there was this sort of slightly romantic thing in the back of my mind that I thought, one day, maybe it might be funny if I went and did that bit of it, but purely a passing thought. And, and you know, when you've worked somewhere for so long, it, it seems like it gets uh, kind of a, a, a further and further away with every kind of year that, that goes past. So um, it, it's interesting that I think kind of that scenario that, that, that Yusuf talks about there seems like probably the, the, the more regular one that takes people into to, um, freelancing, but mine really the opposite journey. Really, I think um, I resonate with Mel. When when I was a, a full time employee, I used to get frustrated with either the way things were done or the things that were being done, and it was always the the kind of um, trigger for moving on was was when that got too much, and it got to the point where it's like. I need to I need to watch what I say and who I say it to, otherwise I'm gonna land myself in trouble. And that's always that was always the trigger point for moving on. And I think being a freelancer is great. I find it a lot less stressful. And it's either because either the company's paying me to come in and fix the things that are frustrating, or if they're not and there's things that are there that are frustrating, well then I can give my advice, but at the end of the day, it's it's not my company. 
they can take or leave that advice and, you know, ignore it if they choose to. And I find that a lot less stressful than I used to when I was a, when I was a, a, a full-time employee. Don't, don't you find yourself cleaning up other people's messes all the time though, Stuart? Um, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've had a few contracts that have been like that, but again, you, you kind of, you know that going in, um, in a lot of places, you know that you're going in to do that job. You kind of, you kind of negotiate accordingly. But you're, you're, you're never there at the inception of a project or the, at the idea stage. Um, sometimes again, I think I've been, I've been lucky. I've been, I've been there for a mix. Some of them have been there from, from the beginning. Okay. Um, um, some of them I'm there, um, right at the end because they got to a certain point and realized they don't have the skill set to finish the project, uh, or, you know, they've not trained the in-house people quickly enough to finish the project. So they need somebody externally. So there's, there's that kind of thing. A lot of, a lot of it is, um, going in and dealing with legacy systems where you, where the thing you're writing has to either build on or interact with some legacy system. That's the, that's the real difficult situation. You know, the real difficult part of being a contractor, I find. Right. Is that the bit that you do enjoy or don't enjoy about it? Was it just problem solving and kind of interesting yeah. and it's, it's not your legacy mess anyway. So yeah, there's always, I mean, that, there's always that light at the end of the tunnel where you don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> I've been, I've been because, because I've been a, a software engineer for such a long time. Sometimes it is my legacy mess that I'm interacting. <laughs> <laughs> you're back it. in. <laughs> yeah, it, what idiot wrote this? And then you look back and oh, oh, it was me <laughs> ten oh years God. ago. It's my name on that project. <laughs> so we should probably move on to talking about. Uh, COVID-19 really, shouldn't we? Um, so how, James, how have you been affected personally? And then I think it'd be great for you to talk to us a bit more about how uh, running Sheffield Collective, and maybe we, maybe you need to do a bit more of an intro about that, but what you've learned from from others as well. Sure. I mean, the, the two are kind of quite intrinsically linked, to be fair, because um, setting up Sheffield Collective was uh, a response from me to kind of my own experience of of what happened at the beginning of the um, COVID-19 situation. So I found um, in the build-up to it, and it's really weird thinking back because I can't really, it feels like a blur. Like I can't remember in December and January, like what 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 were we expected to happen? Like, I remember that we were all talking about it. I used to joke to my friends like, "Oh, you know, it will we'll all be we'll all have coronavirus by then." You know that won't happen and stuff. And I can't really remember what we genuinely thought it was going to play out like. But um, you know, I remember kind of being around different radio stations and you know lots of of news editors and managers and stuff asking me about you know what's my availability going to be like because if they've got people who are off with it, um, you know they're going to need to have kind of you know freelance availability. And and then when actually, you know, when, when things did start to, to, to change kind of in the middle of, of March, um, it was the opposite. So I found I had lots of bookings that were being cancelled because um, some of the companies that I worked with said, we just can't afford to have a freelance budget. We're going to have to reshuffle things internally. So, you know, I had kind of weeks and weeks of work that were, were cancelled. 
and a few other things that kind of um, fell fell to bits as well. Couple that with um, you know my own sort of family situation where my mum is extreme high risk because of various kind of health conditions that she's got. So she was um, shielding, but but in the way that you know she wasn't even able to open the front door if someone um, went to to visit her. My my sister works for the NHS, so there were lots of kind of stresses about um, that and and kind of you know kind of you know me having to kind of do all the shopping for various different stems of the family and and things like that so I found myself in, in a real kind of panic actually and um, th- there were a few days where I I was really low I was in a bit of a state and and and, and really couldn't see any light at the end of the of the tunnel and felt sorry for myself for a couple of days and and then kind of thought I've got to do something about this and, and actually found that attending a couple of networking events helped me to kind of start to, to pull myself together because I thought actually, you know what, leaning on a few other people and, and maybe um, getting some referrals from other people and feeling that I'm able to help others as well started to pull me through that. And, and that's what led me to then think, you know what, it, it, it's very much I can, I can foresee a situation where other people who are in a similar situation where they're freelance uh, uh, also find themselves in this, um, in this kind of hole that I was in. So maybe we can sort of help each other. What I should mention as well here is that because of the time that I went freelance, it meant that the government self-employment grant scheme I completely missed out on. So I didn't qualify for that at all. So actually when it came to extra assistance to kind of get me through the situation that I found I was in, the only thing that was open to me was applying for universal credit. Um, and, and that, you know, I sat and did the sums on, on a, a government kind of calculator and found out that that wouldn't even cover my, my rent. Um, so that kind of added to the panic as well. And I thought it would be interesting to see, you know, other freelancers, particularly people who maybe work in different ways where, um, they, they work as a, as the sole company director, which would mean that they don't qualify for this. Um, and people that, that maybe work for lots of different, um, companies, uh, perhaps on payroll. So it'd be like, you know, are they going to be furloughed from lots of different jobs? How does that work? So I thought that setting up, um, Sheffield Collective, it felt like the right time to do it. And it was a bit of a rush, uh, but it felt like a good time to do it so that people could not just share their experience, but also as a bit of a support network as well. So it would mean that, you know, actually, if we've got someone who does I don't know. They do X. That's the the job that they do. And someone does Y. Uh, but the person that does Y might come across someone that really needs someone that does X. So in terms of referrals, it, um, it, it becomes a really useful way for people to start picking up you know, extra bits of work as well uh, and hopefully form some friendships. So, so that was the idea of it. So Sheffield Collective is uh, it, it only exists virtually at the moment because it's obviously been set up since since lockdown. And I refer to it as kind of a networking and support and a bit of friendship group for people who uh, fit into the category of freelancers, self-employed, sole traders, basically just anyone who kind of works by themselves. So rather than having a company to, to fall back on for support, they find that they don't really have anyone to fall back on for professional support. So that's the idea of it is, uh, you know, we are stronger as a collective than we all are as, as individuals. And, and, and that was the sort of basis for, for setting that up. Great. I think uh, there's lots for us to talk about there. Maybe before we do, we'll just get your uh, story. Let's call it a story, Stuart. <laughs> Let's put the pressure on how you tell it. Um, um, how's, how have you been affected, Stuart? My, my story starts quite a few months before 
um, before we went into lockdown, before um, this crisis even kind of hit this country, there's a, a whole subgroup of freelancers and contractors um, that have been affected or were going to be affected by changes to um, the government's uh, tax system around how they tax uh, contractors and freelancers um, called IR35. And that was causing a lot of panic amongst companies. And it was, it was due to come in on the 1st of April this year. So I'd been preparing to be out of work because of that. Um, my contract was finishing on uh, March 31st, the, the last day of March anyway. My previous contract finished. So I was kind of feathering my nest a bit and not uh, doing some of the things with my cash at the end of the year that I would normally do. So, for example, I've not paid into my pension this year. Um, I've, I've kept that as cash that I can access. But then, <laughs> then all this kind of hit, um, and we went in. We went into lockdown two weeks before my contract finished, and there's literally been nothing from the start of April available for people looking for new contracts. Even even the recruiters have, have stopped calling, and that's very unusual. You know, they'll usually just ring you up if they've got oh, we've got a job that's perfect for you. And it turns out that it's a, a skill set you've never had the other end of the country, um, you know, for, for for something that wouldn't even buy your train ticket to get there, you know. Even, even they've stopped calling. Um, now, luckily, because I've been feathering my nest for the IR35 stuff, financially, in the, in the short term, I've not been affected. Obviously, there's the kick-on, um, because I didn't, because I didn't pay into my pension, I've now got to pay extra tax on that on that money. Uh, it's not in my pension for when I do retire. There's all those kind of things further down the line, but but I've not actually had the financial stress that some and a lot of contractors have had. But that was more good luck than good management. Um, if the IO35 stuff hadn't have been um, due to rear its head, then I'd have just gone ahead as normal and done all my normal end of year stuff. I operate as a PSC, um, so I'm, a, I'm effectively a, a, a what do you call it, a one employee company. So I take most of my remuneration through dividends, like most people in my situation do, and it means that um, I'm not eligible for any of the government support stuff. Like James, I'd probably qualify for something uh, under the universal credit. Um, there's also a, a business loan, a bounce back loan that you could apply for. But at the time, if you're in a situation where you don't know where your next income is going to come from, the, the loan's useless because you've still got to pay it back. And if you're not earning, then how are you going to pay it back? So that wasn't really an option for me either. There is the option for company directors like myself to take to take furlough, uh, but you only get 80% of your PAYE earnings, which obviously if you do it like I do it, is 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 hardly anything. 
But on top of that, um, you, you had to have had your payroll, your monthly payroll, in by March the 3rd, I think it was. There was some cut-off date at the beginning of March anyway. But <laughs> I pay myself annually. Uh, my end of year is the end of March, so I hadn't had any PAYE registered yet for 2019-20, so I can't even I can't even apply for that. Um, you know, there's like there's like half a million to a million people in the same situation. It's not a small problem. You know, it's not just like a little niche uh, of people. It's um, uh, first of all, I'm. I'm sorry you've not had the work, and I hope that that changes soon. And, uh, and the good news is, I start a new contract on Monday. Yeah, the first okay. the first interview I got, I mailed. So it's a good end to the story, Stuart. <laughs> it's a good end to the story for me. Yeah, yeah. It's very but familiar. There's, there's though, still I mean, lots yes. of people not in my situation. That no, that, yeah, that Chris. Help. You're right, Chris. I think I think you're about to say that it's it's a really familiar situation. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm in the same position, and I think Mel's in the same position as well. Yeah. In terms of government support, we touched on this before, Mel. I think, I think, uh, if you are as well, James, every single person on this particular uh, episode is in exactly the same position as freelancers. Yeah, I was, I was the same. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough that I've had, um, I, I lost work, but as time has gone on, I've kept enough work, and then work's come back, and I've lost clients, gained new ones. It's been an absolute roller coaster. But yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate in that way. But in terms of government support, the only thing that that was available to me really was was that bounce back loan that you you'd heard of. I I, I said in the last episode I chose to take it because like like you said I, if if you're not working then you end up having to spend it whereas I was I just thought well if that's all on offer I'd rather have the government's money which is kind of how I look at it which it probably shouldn't do I'd rather have it in my bank account just in case than not and then hopefully just give it them back whenever they want it um, but yeah apart from that uh, I think everyone here is in in a similar position so one of the things that I think people listening to this podcast might be interested in is in the current situation with COVID, what what can freelancers and contractors do that they don't do already to put themselves out there and get work? Um, I don't have a, an easy answer to that question. Um, my approach has been, I've been working my network, which is what I always do to get work. I've been contacting people to let them know that I do have capacity, that I'm available, that I'm interested in things, um, which is, you know, has, has brought in a couple of bits and pieces. Does any, you know, Stuart and James, Chris as well, Ian as well, in fact, we're all in the same boat. What have you been doing to pull stuff in or, or to, to get yourself in front of prospective um, Customers. Well, well I, I was really lucky, just to get me out of the way quickly, um, about a week before the lockdown was announced, I was approached by someone I worked with five years ago um, to join an online degree course as a, as a lecturer. So I, I was, you know, during that first week of lockdown, I was deciding whether or not to take on a, a new piece of work that I could do remotely. It doesn't pay an awful lot, but it's high profile, and you know it was in a, in a it was directly related to my kind of field of expertise. Um, so I actually put projects that I was working on on hold in order to service this this new request that had come in, and it's it's turned out to be to be really good. I've re- I've you know it's been very hard work, and I, but I've I've really enjoyed it, and I've been able to make it fit around our home life and everything. So. 
um, I just I feel incredibly lucky that that happened. It was completely coincidental. I think I think the uh, the real answer to that probably differs very much from one person to another because of the fact that industries differ so much. And and you know I've I've spoke to um, I've spoke to people and, and and going back to Sheffield Collective on 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 those meetups, I've I've heard stories from people who've been able to very quickly kind of pivot what they were doing in order to you know find themselves in a whole new kind of industry or, or open to a whole new kind of business. Um, and I think that the some people that probably don't have that open to them. For me, for me personally, it was an opportunity probably to do three things. So firstly, just to slightly rethink how I was kind of pitching what I was doing. Um, you know, I had various kind of um, contracts and things that were, were, were going on. And actually, it presented me an opportunity for me to, to almost kind of just kind of start from scratch a little bit um, and and just think, all right, well, actually, you know, this part of what I do hasn't really taken off. So let's just forget that. Let's concentrate on the stuff that I think I can take somewhere. There was an element of pivoting for me. So um, I um, very quickly started offering remote podcast um, production services. So people who uh, would previously record their podcasts and their interviews in person who didn't really know how to keep it going through, through lockdown, I was able to very quickly start offering my service is to say, look, I'll take care of everything. I just send you a link that you give to your guest. You turn up, and I'll do the the whole rest of it. Um, and and that um, I got two or three people that kind of took me up on on that, and that brought in enough for me to know at least I can kind of survive and get through. And then the third thing for me has just been networking and. Um, I, I'm not going to try and, and put a gloss on what's been a really awful situation for a lot of people, but actually looking back at my coronavirus experience from a work point of view, I'll probably at the end of it look back and go, actually, there's been some huge positives there because it's allowed me to um, get involved with networking groups um, that I just wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So I, I, there's been days where I've been to four or five different networking groups or meetups with which in, in the real world, if I was physically trying to get around those, you know, I was at one yesterday, which uh, when it happens in real life is in Liverpool. I wouldn't have been able to get to, to that at 10 o'clock in the morning and then get back for another meeting at, at 12 o'clock back in Sheffield. But because everything's been virtual, I've been able to spread myself really thin. Um, and that for, for, for a couple of months, I kind of thought, why am I doing this? And then suddenly in the last sort of week and a half, two weeks, things have just exploded for me and, and, and really snowballed. And it's been as a result of, of doing that that networking and kind of putting in the graft and you know one person having a conversation with another person who gets in touch with me and suddenly it's like right brilliant things are really falling into um, into place but you know I think that the experience for for everyone who finds themselves in, in in the situation that all five of us have been in will have been very different because of just the fact that the industries and and, and different you know areas of work just vary wildly yeah I, th- I think it depends on your your personality as well because i um one of the things that i started to do i've been fortunate enough that um uh, I've, uh, work has come back in and so i've been very busy with that and then absolutely overwhelmed with childcare so i haven't actually quite finished what i started doing at the start of lockdown and that was to initially panic when i realized that um in fact i went through a few phases because I, I run sheffield content clubs the uh uh, meetup. My first instinct was to right. I need to help people, so I spent a week just really flat out tweeting like mad, helping people. And then after about a week, I was like, "Oh yes, I'm going to be affected too by this, aren't I?" It just sort of dawned on me as clients were starting to uh, panic themselves. 
And so I kind of retreated in. So the networking, I've been able to do far less of it. I've not been able to come to a Sheffield Collective, for example, which is exactly the sort of thing that I should be at and attending. I just haven't been able to. It's at six o'clock and I blame you entirely for this, James. It's at six it's, o'clock. It's okay. Your, your, your absence has been noted, Ian. It's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's bedtime. It's, it's like that two, that two hours. If I'd been working all day and my wife's had four kids, for me to then go, I'm just going to go and have a chat with some freelancers for an hour or so on the internet. Is that all right? I would be told. No, it's not all right. So I don't even ask. Um, so I went through that period, and then I thought, okay, well, what 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 can I what can I do here that if uh, if client work sort of falls away and falls away in a you know a relatively uh, permanent basis? So this idea of trying to diversify my income, I think, is the lesson that I'm going to take out of lockdown. I haven't quite got there yet, and I think that it does depend on your personality whether you've got a fancy microphone, for example, uh, but doing something like online courses or delivering workshops online as a, as a thing that you offer rather than just a thing that you might do with your existing clients. Um, and so uh, for me, that's plain English. So I've got lots of plain English materials that I do with my clients, um, but I've never really made them available to buy. So I would still be a freelancer, but you can also buy stuff from me. And I can see this happening a lot inevitably with lots of people in the more creative side of the digital sector. Photographers, goodness gracious, uh, what a time to be a photographer where all of your events are cancelled, everything's just completely fallen away overnight. Um, so yeah, seeing, seeing people who are photographers, videographers, that type of uh, career, uh, selling stuff. So being able to have, even if it's a small part of your income, just so that there is always something else. So you're not just entirely reliant. And I should have learned this having been through a number of redundancy processes that clients can disappear and it can have a catastrophic impact on companies and individuals very quickly. Um, and uh, so I think the idea of trying to have more than one iron in the fire, so to speak, um, at any given point is something I'm going to try and make sure I do going forward. I think because of the way um, I've been preparing to be out of work anyway, the, the panic has never really set in. I've done things like I've done I've done online courses. Uh, I've brushed up on skills that I thought um, I might have been falling behind in, but no, nothing really too serious. I found that I've spent more time away from the keyboard than I would do normally. So I've I've ended up reconnecting with uh, some old college friends. That I haven't seen for 25 years. We just we just play online. We just play video games on the on the PlayStation. That's but you know it's it's really good to to catch up with them. I've made some some new friends from the people you know from their extended circle of friends. I've started doing non technical related things. So I've taken up well I, I did it before on anyway, but I've, I've started doing a lot more woodworking, building things. I think I've said this before on the show, but the way that everyone has kind of had going through the same thing, like the same thing is happening to all of us is it's in, in, in a sense, but everybody's experience of it is so completely and utterly different. You know, the internet for the first two weeks and everyone's doing making sourdough, everyone's doing all this kind of thing. And well, not, not everyone. Some people have, you know, going through absolutely awful times. Mm -hmm. I've got four kids all being sick on me at one time. That hasn't happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did at some point. And, and, being able to have like the clarity of mind to actually think about how you use the time, whether it's to work or to like make online courses or to do some woodworking or meet up with friends. That I think that's the thing that I find most difficult, that kind of clarity of mind to think, okay, well, I'm going to use this time 
forever. There's, there's been a lot of time staring at the wall, frankly, going, what on yeah. earth? Going back to, to different things you, you've been doing, I've done more posts on sort of like professional networking sites like LinkedIn. I've, I've been a bit more visible on there to try and, to try and get um, myself noticed and stuff. It, it didn't work, but you know, it's, it's still there and it's a, a body of work that I can, I can point people to that's sort of like related to my, what I do, but not exactly what I do. So. Yeah. And those things tend to take time as well. I've had blog posts that have led to work, but I wrote them three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those things are always, I think that's always a good use of your time actually to try and like put something out there in one there's, form or another. There's, there's, there's something here about, um, like if the lockdown didn't last as long as it had, I don't think people would have adapted enough to really get some of the benefits of of building a different a different sideline or a different revenue stream or a different capability. You know, I've, I've had these conversations with my wife as well because she's had to transition her business to to online, and hers was a very face to face business, and so she's had to be very her and her business partner have had to be very um, creative and innovative about how they offer their service. Um, online and how they communicate this and the whole set of practices around it from safeguarding to you know how it's set up and all this kind of thing um, and it, but if the lockdown had been shorter they wouldn't have got to the point where it was really starting to work and they were starting to to get new business through the fact that they'd built such a sophisticated and well-adapted new service and so I kind of think you know, actually, if, if this had just been a month, we would have kind of, we would have panicked and, and sort of done some half-assed things, but nobody would have fixed their internet to the point where they can run really effective, you know, Zoom meetings. No one would have changed their, you know, the way that they communicate and, and uh, promote their services. You know, we wouldn't have got to the point of really, you know, ho- the hope is that if it goes back to something like normality, we'll then we'll have an additional set of capabilities. I think, you know, most people who've been, been able to adapt will have something additional that they can offer their clients so that's my hope anyway that some of this you know will will show a big advantage and, and that's on the client side as well so you know there will be more online meetings and it'll be you know some of the advantages of being able to you know attend things remotely you know much more than we would otherwise they are still going to be in place even once we can see each other face to face i think that's a really interesting point how much do we think these new ways of working are going to stick or how much do we think people are just going to slide back into where they're comfortable? Um, I, I don't have a sense of it. I, I keep asking people about it. Um, I'd be interesting to know, you know, what does everybody else think? Um, some kind of happy medium, isn't there? Because I think <clears throat> it seems pretty obvious that the world's not just going to go back to how it was before. There are going to be elements of uh, things that, that have, have all changed and been done um, over the last three months that will stick in, in in how the world is. I'm trying to avoid using the, world, uh, the word new normal, um, but I'm going to have to do because there will be parts of, of what we've done through lockdown that, that will remain. I think we've all realised that actually, you know, is it worth dragging yourself halfway across um, town for a meeting with someone that you could actually do on Zoom just as effectively and, and, and you know, other things like that. And from a, from a work point of view, and, and, and I guess kind of thinking about it specifically with regards to freelancers, um, I think there'll be huge elements that, that people will take forward, whether that's, you know, Ian was just talking about 
you know, kind of things that he's going to set in place just to make sure that if a, a situation occurs in the future, that, you know, he's got that little bit of, of redundancy and that little bit of backup to kind of get through. And I think that'll be the case for, for a lot of people. And um, I, I kind of find myself in a situation now, and I feel a little bit bad about this, but I kind of look at it and think, I, I think that I will come out of this in a much better position than I went into it because of the fact that it's allowed me to work on things that I probably knew I needed to, but would never have got round to if not for, you know, kind of having a big kind of, you know, uh, slap around the the back and be told, you're just going to have to now because there's nothing else for you to do, James. So things like, you know, Stuart mentioned about LinkedIn, you know, that's something I've spent a huge amount of time working on my um, sort of LinkedIn strategy to make sure that I'm posting something every day and that it's relevant. There's no point in me going to networking events and meeting people and, and adding them on LinkedIn if I'm not then putting stuff out there. So also working on, you know, blogging every week, doing more video content, um, actually creating a content calendar for the rest of the year you know, that's stuff that I would never have got around to if not for for this. And I think that that, I hope that's kind of the case for a lot of people that, you know, rather than just sitting around and kind of feeling a bit sorry for themselves over the last few months, they've kind of used it as an opportunity to think, right, what can I do that will ultimately mean that I come out of this stronger than, than I've gone into it? I kind of think, um, and I'm sorry to be the, the pessimist, but I I don't think that much is going to change once um once all the restrictions are lifted and everything um i think we'll we'll it won't even be a slow slide back to how we used to work or previously i think it'll just it'll almost snap back there's too many too many big companies have put people on furlough rather than try and change the way they work to adapt the business they've just put the businesses on hold. So when they come out of furlough and go back to trying to work, they've not put these new processes in place. They've not made any changes to the way the businesses work. And I think the momentum and the the inertia that those big businesses will create will just drag everybody else along with it. And I think we'll be back to how things were as though nothing's changed within six to 12 months. I I think you might be right for in, in many, many cases where I think there might be something interesting going on is in the public sector because that they're the types of organizations that would not have a remote working policy at all. Mm. People would be expected to come and sit next to each other on their, on their sort of 10 year old computers and, and, and crack on every day. Lots of people, apologies if you work in the public sector, but lots of listless people who don't feel remotely empowered to do uh, their work. It's a, it's, it's a job. It's a means to an end for a lot, of, a lot of those people. Not everyone, of course, lots of generalizations and all everything I've just said. But the urgency of the pandemic has, um, and I've seen this through some client work as well, the urgency of the pandemic has given not just public sector organizations focus, like councils and that kind of thing, um, it's given the people within it uh, some uh, focus as well and some responsibility and quick decisions that would have taken weeks, months even to be made. They've had to be made really quickly because people have needed equipment, communities have needed support, phone calls have had to be made and there hasn't been that time to go up the chain and people have been sat in their homes at, you know, em- empowered uh, by uh, the urgency of the situation um, and a sense of responsibility that they probably have never had before. And I think it would be very difficult for those people. Hopefully, hopefully those people would be saying, 
I don't want to go back to normal. Um, and hopefully the fact that they've, in, in, in lots of cases, will have, have um, succeeded and done well and provided that support to communities and individuals, then the leadership will then actually allow them to, uh, in whatever form it might take, allow them to continue that kind of work that's only come about through the urgency of, of something like this situation. They will if it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, which way? Which way do you mean? Do you mean they will? They'll let them carry on, or do you mean they'll just go back to normal? Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll let them carry on if it turns out to be cheaper. If they Got if it. they can save on on capital asset costs, then you know they, they they've they've had to invest in IT infrastructure to be able to you know support that number of people working remotely. If if that's a cheaper way of operating and it's just as effective, that's what they'll stick with. But ultimately, I mean, it's probably going to come down to economics as much as it comes down to human behaviour. And I'll say something more upbeat and positive, as I always do, which is... Um, hey, I, was, I was trying, Mel. I was trying. <laughs> is, is there an opportunity for all of us as freelancers, as, as people who drop in and out of businesses and organisations, to, to encourage and to model and to say, you know, look, we were doing it this way during lockdown. Let's carry on with that. Let's, you know, I mean, I, I'll be the first person saying, uh, can we do this on Zoom? <laughs> Can we do this collaboratively online? That kind of thing. Um, there is an opportunity for us to model the, the positive stuff and to help organisations where they say, oh, we tried that during lockdown, but it didn't work very well, is to say to them, well, let's look at why that didn't work and let's see if we can improve that. Just saying. Yeah, I, I think there are some areas that we haven't really tried out, like hybrid, hybrid meetings or events. You know, we've, we've gone from doing real world events to doing completely virtual events. But actually, when things start to loosen up, um, how are we going to manage hybrid events where some people are, are online and some people are there in person? How do we include them? How do we, you know, how do we account for the fact that, you know, we want people's on a virtual experience of the event to be as good as being there in person? So I think there's a whole whole other set of of you know things that we need to try out and see what works and what doesn't and how to do it because I, I i don't want as an event organizer to just go back to doing physical world events the way that they were before without considering that there's a big audience of people it's much more inclusive to 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 you know for them to be part of the event as well from from their homes yeah that that's so true that because i think that i mean i i'm still in a position right now where i kind of feel like I never want to sit next to a stranger for the entire rest of my life. I'm just going to socially distance forever now. I don't want to take any risks because, you know, what, we, even once this um, current pandemic has passed, which might take years, but when it does, we don't know when the next one's going to be. So I'm like, you know, I'm always going to prefer to do something online if we can do. But I think there'll be other people in that situation. And, and, and you know, we kind of talked about that happy medium earlier and, and, and that, that has to come into play. Um, the, there's also the fact that, you know, through lockdown, the world has felt like a smaller place because everything has moved online and that means it's just as easy to have a meeting with someone at the other side of the world you know talk, not talk about business here but i've got a, a, a close friend in denmark and a friend in new york and we normally end up being able to have conversations about twice a year and yet we've been jumping on zoom left right and center because we've kind of been forced into it and, and sat there thinking 
why did we not do this before? So I've got no doubt at all that stuff like that will will continue, and I think that will spread professionally. And and you know, I I only work in one sector, so it, it's it's yeah you know, silly for me to, to make predictions because ultimately I don't really know what I'm I'm talking about. But I'm I'm probably the opposite end of the scale to to kind of what Stuart talked about in terms of the fact that you know I think that we, we long term will see huge differences. I don't think that companies will want huge big buildings anymore. I think that they will see an opportunity to downsize and for people to work remotely and they've seen that you know actually they can trust staff to, to work remotely and, and that will be a huge factor moving forward and that things will be completely different and I actually did a podcast episode with someone who knows these things a lot better than I do a couple of weeks ago who said that the experience of this will actually kickstart the fourth industrial revolution and that everything will be different in the next five to ten years um, which would probably have happened anyway but maybe not as quickly as a result of what, what what's happened during during lockdown and the adaptations that companies have made. When do you say different? Do you mean better, James? I mean, I... Because I, I'd like to end a podcast with, with you saying, <laughs> yes, everything's going to be fantastic, if that's all right. Yes, everything's <laughs> going to be fantastic, depending what sector you work in. But, you know, for, for most people, I think they work in freelance sectors, which I think tend to be probably probably more digital than, than anything else. I think it, I think it's really rosy looking forward. I think there's some really exciting stuff that, that will change, that will make, you know, opportunities for, for us and new avenues for us to explore loads, loads more exciting and loads better. Great. So that's exactly what <laughs> I'm going to edit the first hour out and just that'll, that's just it. <laughs> I right. Think well, was right. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think the outcome is going to be much more positive. Let's hope so. Right. Well, thank you for that. Um, really appreciate both of you coming on and uh, especially sharing your own experience because it has been challenging despite our japes here at the end. It's, it's been a really difficult period of time for pretty much everyone that I've ever spoken to about it. So um, do, do you want to just mention um, the, um, Sheffield Collective and how to get in touch with it. Yeah, sure. So uh, we keep it nice and simple. At the moment, we meet on Zoom, so it's virtual. It's the last Friday of the month at six o'clock, so it's dead easy. There, there will be a point where we will probably work in some physical meetups as well. I'll be the one in the corner socially distancing from everyone else, but uh, there'll probably be an addition. I think we'll continue doing it virtually for the foreseeable um, future. Um, not got around to anything like a website or anything like that yet, but we are on Twitter at Chef Collective. Um, and if anyone wants to get in touch with me via LinkedIn, just search for James Marriott, um, get in touch with me personally, and um, you know I can kind of give anyone any information they want about that. Nice one. And good luck on your new um, contract on Monday, Stuart, as well. Yeah, Stuart, where do we find you? Do you have a website that you can tell people about? Um, I do. It's uh, digitalmasters.com, uh, like Sheffield's Little Masters, but digitalmasters.com. Um, and that, uh, yeah, get you in touch with me, no problem. Marvellous. Great. And for the rest of us, it's sheffield.digital. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye for now.